Yeah, yeah. Ball so hard, you better believe me, it's scary. It's basketball at the bar with Calvin and Barry. So put a tip in the jar, cause these dudes can really fill it up. Whether it's buckets you need enough just a beer in a cup. We're here for fresh conversations. Got some delicious libations. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notifications. My boys got you covered like you being guarded by pay. From the glove to the cloth and everyone else in between. Calvin and Barry got everything that you need. So sit back, relax, because we're starting the show. It's basketball at the bar. Grab your drinks and let's go. Yeah, yeah. Grab a drink and let's go. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notification. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notification. Let's get it. What up, ballers? Welcome back to Basketball at the Bar. Join us live every weekday for the best NBA podcast here on YouTube, where the takes are hot and the drinks are cold. There's no dress code, and you can take us wherever you go. So pull up a stool, drop a like, and don't forget to subscribe. This is Basketball at the Bar. Grab your drinks, and let's go. Calvin, I'm back. Welcome back, I'm here. I'm back in the studio. It feels good to be in Maui. It's warm outside. My feet are not cold anymore. And it's Monday. And it's Monday. And it's officially the NBA Finals, which That's right, we made it. is what I'm really excited about. Uh, Sunday's game capped off the final game of the Eastern Conference Finals. Now we have our, our finals matchup, and we're going to talk about it today. we got a pretty full schedule for you guys. We're going to recap the weekend. We're going to talk about that very last game, 7. We're going to uh, announce the Eastern Conference Finals MVP we're going to touch a little bit on the Miami Heat and what they can do to improve this offseason and hopefully get back to the finals next season. Speaking of the finals, we're going to talk about this finals matchup, what we like, what we dislike, who we think has the edge. We're going to give an update on the Lakers coaching search. They did officially hire a coach. And we're going to talk a little bit about C.J. McCollum joining ESPN and our thoughts on that. And we're going to end the show, as always, with Q&A. So make sure you guys stay tuned till the end. Make sure you have all your questions ready because Calvin and I are here and we got answers. Let's do it, Calvin. It's Monday. Let's do it. All right. So first off, the Miami Heat falls short after forcing an amazing Game 7, an amazing game by Jimmy Butler on Friday to uh, send this series to seven games. Unfortunately, his 35 points are not enough. The Boston Celtics win 196 in Miami. Jason Tatum has 26 points to lead the Boston uh, as far as scoring goes. 24 points for Marcus Smart, 24 for Jalen Brown, 11 off the bench for Grant Williams. And, uh, Miami Heat, 35 from Butler, 25 from Bam Adebayo, 15 from Kyle Lowry, and then a bunch of guys that didn't really perform that well. Tyler Hero gave it a go, played seven minutes, didn't make a shot, zero points, one assist, one block in this game. Calvin, first thoughts on amazing Game 7. It was a very amazing Game 7. A couple of times I felt like Boston was just going to run away with this. Miami looked tired. Uh, we know they're banged up. We know they're hurt. Jimmy Butler gave everything that he possibly could have. I mean, he was on pace for like 60 points in yeah. this game early on. It was pretty ridiculous what he was doing in the first half, especially that second quarter. Uh, and then they make that great 11-0 run there late in the fourth quarter, and you're thinking, is Boston 
really going to let this slip away. You know, that was kind of the story of the first half of their season was they let so many big leads get away from them and ended up losing a bunch of games. It would have been very uh, coincidental if that's how their season comes to an end in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. But they were able to make enough plays, hit enough free throws at the end, and really the, the difference to me was was the third guy. Yep. I mean, Jimmy Butler and Bam had really good games. Uh, they kind of had fizzled out there at the end a little bit in terms of their production. But Marcus Smart is the third guy on the ladder for the Boston Celtics, right? He had 24 points. Kyle Lowry had maybe his best game of the series with 15 points but shot horribly. He just That's mm-hmm. the difference. They, they didn't get enough production outside of Butler and Adebayo. Yeah, this just goes to show that the Miami Heat were more uh, beaten up they were more tired. It was a game seven. What do game sevens do? They basically take every ounce out of you that's left. Jimmy Butler was playing the entire game. He played yeah. all 48 minutes, ran out of gas there at the end. We'll talk about that three that he took at the very end and our thoughts on that. But, yeah, Boston was a deeper team. They were more healthy. They were more physical. They seemed to be more uh, prepared for this game. And it started out early. They took a quick lead in this game. And then yeah. it seemed like Miami had to fight back constantly. They'd cut the lead. Then Boston would go on another run again. Then Miami would cut the lead again. And it just happened over and over and over again. That is absolutely exhausting for a team. Oh, yeah, for sure. They are, or they were the home team in this game, but they just couldn't get that push to kind of get them over that hump and go on a run. They couldn't get enough stops in this game. It was a low-scoring game. Like, the over-under on this game, I think, was closer to 200. It ends at 196 uh, between the two teams. But uh, just happy to see this series turn into uh, what it did and go to Game 7. More basketball for us to watch. Yeah. Pretty much every game in this series. In fact, I think every game except for Game 1, which was the the huge third quarter, 22-2 to two run quarter for Miami to pull ahead and win that game. Every other game in the series was basically decided early. The, the team that got out to a really good start built yeah. a comfortable lead. And, yes, you know who, the other team that was down in either game or in either situation would make runs to get back in it. But that team that got out to the, the quick start, built a, a double-digit lead early on in the game, won almost every single game in this series. I got to give myself a little pat on the back here uh, from last week. I think it was Friday when I predicted that Miami was going to win game six and force a game seven. I said, Jimmy Butler can carry a team. And I predicted he'd have close to 40 points in that game. He beat me. He finished with 47 in that game, pushed to game seven. But like I said on Friday, I was going to hold off on game seven to make a prediction because I wasn't so sure. I think it took everything out of Jimmy Butler to get them to Game 7. He gave everything he did or could in Game 7. And uh, unfortunately, the Heat fall. They just weren't healthy. Like I, I'm just going to keep saying it here, Tyler Hero, yeah, the sixth man of the year, was not really helpful for them for more than half of this series, especially here in Game 7. He tried to give it a go. Maybe he was a decoy. Uh, maybe it was just a last-second move to try and make Boston make some adjust- adjustments. Uh, but he wasn't available for them as far as like production wise. 
Kyle Lowry, it was great to see him out there, but he did make quite a few mistakes in this game, turned over the ball a few times. Uh, but that's what happens when you're in a game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals, right? Exhaustion finally starts to catch up to you. Yeah, uh, Give Kyle Lowry a little bit of credit, though. He took a bunch of really important charges late yeah. in this game as well, which is something that he's been doing for years. It's one of the best parts of his game. I'm giving him some credit, but I, I would like to see more out of him. Oh, they if definitely gonna, needed more. If they're going to make the finals definitely. or win a championship. But, you know, coming back from injuries, all that stuff, chemistry-wise, things change. So uh, not having him out there and as progressive g says miami missed so many good looks and free throws uh it was disappointing um but let's talk about this jimmy butler three at the end of the game because that was the biggest moment of the game right is miami cuts the lead to two they get the ball back there's like 17 seconds left on the shot clock or in the in the end of the game 17 yeah, seconds I left think a little more than that and even. jimmy butler dribbles up to the three-point line and jacks up a three-pointer that comes short what are your thoughts on that shot so i mean it's it's very easy for all of us to sit here and say that that was a bad shot right now right yeah like he missed the shot they ended up losing the game He's not a good three-point shooter. All the analytics people are going to scream, Jimmy Butler should never take a, a game-winning three because of how poorly he shoots from three. Here's my take on it. Number one, look, we just spent a couple of minutes talking about how gassed and how hurt and yep. banged up this Miami Heat team is, right? You really think they want that game to go into overtime in that situation? No, they want to avoid overtime at all costs. And I get it. Jimmy Butler is not the greatest three-point shooter percentage-wise. The team is filled with guys who you would rather, if you're looking at it on paper, say this person mm -hmm. should take that shot, whether it's Lowry or Hero. I know Hero wasn't playing at the time, but Struess, they've got a ton of guys. Duncan Robinson, that's what they do, right? They shoot threes. Jimmy Butler is made for these moments. He's shown it time and time again that he is a big-time performer in big-time playoff games. Forget about the regular season. This is when he really shines. So as a coach or a member of that team, he's my best player. He's had a great game. Mm -hmm. He's been on from the beginning. Shot the three really well, especially in the first half. You have to live with that shot. The only thing I will say is that I would have been – it would have been much easier for me to sit here and say and totally defend Jimmy in that shot if it came in the half court. Yeah. That was a transition opportunity. He had only Al Horford in front of him and he had a lot of space, which means he had a decent chance at an and one, which I like a lot better in that situation than the three that he took. However, again, He's the best player on that team. It's a big, big moment like that. You don't want to go to overtime, so yeah. you have to live with that shot. I'm okay with him taking it. Yeah, it, it's really tough, right, because Jimmy Butler is the reason that you're in this game. He single-handedly won game six for them and single-handedly kept them in game seven. So, you know, to be critical of him is tough. Honestly, I didn't like the shot. I thought it was too early. I don't have a problem with Jimmy Butler taking that shot at all. Um, he, like you said, he's been the best player. He was rolling 35 points in that game. He just made like a, a crazy contested three-pointer just a few minutes earlier than that. For me, it's just too early. 
like you said, in transition, you had plenty of time left. You could have had the last shot of the game. You could have at least got something going, had guys in there to grab rebounds. You're at home. Obviously, you don't want to go to overtime, uh, so you're looking for a three, but I just think it was too rushed too early. Yeah, like I said, uh, because they, they were in transition, he had all that space in front of him to attack the basket, possibly get a foul call and an and one. Mm-hmm. That's the part that really makes me question it. it. It's not that it was Jimmy Butler who took the shot. It's not that it was a three-point shot and he doesn't shoot those very well. They were riding all the momentum of that 11-0 run, um, and, and he was wide open. So it's it's a really tough thing. If he makes that shot and Miami goes on to win the game, we're sitting here talking today about how Jimmy Butler is the most underappreciated superstar yep. maybe ever in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we say that stuff about Steph Curry, right? When he makes it, it's a good shot. If he misses it, it's yep. a bad shot. Um, shout out to Jimmy Butler. Amazing season. Uh, the dude just keeps turning heads, keeps proving people wrong. I really wanted to see them make the finals. But uh, congratulations for making it that far, and congratulations to the Boston Celtics. Yeah for winning this game because they're the ones that really need to be talked about. You know, as much as we want to talk about Miami was beat up, uh, you know, they didn't have some of their guys, they're missing shots, stuff like that. This game was won by the Boston Celtics, a team that nobody counted to make it to the finals this year. I think in January they were like, what, three games below 500, went on an amazing run. Uh, Their players really stepped up, a new head coach. Boston deserves all the credit, and they're going to the finals, which is really, really exciting. Yeah. So Eastern Conference Finals MVP, Jason Tatum, is awarded it. It's named after Larry Bird, Celtic to Celtic. What are your thoughts on this? Much deserved. I mean, the guy has been incredible all postseason. It's crazy to to see the numbers, uh, you know, just – how far this guy's come in such a short amount of time. We really kind of have taken it for granted, I think, at this point when it comes to Boston being a storied franchise and you mm-hmm. expect them to be in contention for the, the NBA Finals or the Eastern Conference Finals every year. But Jason Tatum, this was his, like, 39th or 40th playoff win in his career. Yeah. If you look back at that draft class, all, other, all the other guys in the top 10 taken in that class have, like, 16 playoff wins combined. This mm-hmm. dude's already cracking 40, basically, yeah. by himself. The, you have to give a ton of credit to him and to the Boston Celtics as a team for rallying around Coach Udoka, turning around their season. Uh, you know, this team was left for dead pretty much in December and January, early January. A lot of people were saying it wasn't going to work. They had to blow this team up. Yeah. They stuck with it, and here they are. They're in the finals. One thing I thought was pretty interesting is, you know, we've seen this rivalry, right? Like the biggest rivalry in basketball, you'd say, is the Lakers and the Celtics, right? The Celtics it used to be. I have don't a really chance. consider it that anymore, but okay. it used to be. The Celtics have a chance here. If they win this year, they can pass the Lakers for most championships all time. But I thought it was interesting that Jason Tatum, his idol is Kobe Bryant, yeah, a Laker. He was wearing his Kobe Bryant patch or uh, sleeve on his arm his little armband, Mm -hmm. and uh, said that he willed him to that game. So it's pretty cool to see how players are crossing borders now, and and, and it's uh, just really, really exciting uh, to see. So congratulations to Jason Tatum. Well-deserved first-ever Larry Bird Eastern Conference Finals 
MVP award. Real quick, before uh, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the game, but real quick, we have the Eastern Conference Final MVP in Tatum and the Western Conference Final MVP in Steph Curry. Which one is more likely to win Finals MVP? Oh man, uh, I mean, I would have to imagine the odds would be pretty close to even for both these guys right now. That the Warriors are favored currently to win the the series as a team, um, so maybe Steph has a slight edge in odds to win Finals MVP, but I, I would say it's pretty much a toss-up at, at the moment. Having Given the fact they haven't played a game yet, you know, yeah. these are the two best players from each of their respective teams. Obviously, you have to think that they they both stand a pretty good chance at, at taking home Finals MVP as well. Do you think Jimmy Butler should have been in uh, consideration for Eastern Conference Finals oh, MVP? Oh, absolutely, he should have. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I just don't think he had con a consistent enough series to really put him over the top. You know, he had s a couple or three great individual games mm -hmm. in this series, but games four and five, he was basically a non-factor. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's what lost in the series. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. Obviously dealing with the nor uh, the knee soreness and all that stuff too, so that's, that's very, very tough uh, for him. Back to the game, we saw um, Struess have a three taken off the board after, uh, I guess, apparently stepping out of bounds. I've seen the video too many times now. <laughs> it's Some really close. say that he was out of bounds. Really, Some people really say that he was in bounds. It's kind of weird because there was like three minutes of gameplay before this shot was taken off of the board. What are your thoughts on this? Was it in? Was it out? Should the NBA be able to remove these points three minutes later? Uh, you know, what constitutes a play that's reviewed like this and one that's not? Because we see plays all the time that are missed. That That is true. Uh, I mean, they're, they are supposed to. The reason it, it didn't get uh, taken off the board until three minutes later is they, they allowed play to continue and there wasn't uh, a stoppage in play. That's, that's not the first time that that has happened in a game or in a playoff game. Um, so, yeah, three minutes sounds like a long time, but it, it's just – how the gameplay yeah. worked out. Um, and they're supposed to have, you know, guys on the sideline and guys in the video booth watching all these plays and sending in signals mm -hmm. to the refs saying, hey, we need to take another look at that uh, because in real time it is easy to miss something as fine and minute as that foot being on the line. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, I have watched it a bunch of times and I think he was out of bounds. Okay. It, it is really, really close. I get that. Um, and it is so hard to see if his, his entire foot comes down or not and which part of it would be on the line and which part is not. I find it hard to believe that he wasn't some, – some part of his shoe wasn't stepping on the line. It's, it's so close. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it's just an unfortunate, obviously, situation for Miami. And I think it was the right call, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, we see a ton of missed calls all the time, and we always think back, well, what if they reviewed that? They should have reviewed that. You know, we all want perfection. There's a bunch of humans out there refereeing these games. They're mm -hmm. not perfect. For me, I thought it was pretty interesting that it was taken off the board because the video evidence wasn't 100% clear. And yeah, that's fair. And we've kind of seen it in the past where if it's not 100% certain, 
they kind of just let it be what it was called on the on the court. It was called a three. I thought that maybe they should have left it as a three because the video evidence wasn't 100% clear, but I, I get it. I understand. And, uh, you know, you look at the end of the game where Miami's down two, and you're like, well, if they would have had that three, they would have been winning. You can't look at it like this. Yeah. These, these incidents are are totally independent of the outcome of the game. Now, if you're talking about, you know, Kings uh, Lakers officiating or something like that, <laughs> maybe I'm more on the board. If it's late in the game, yes. But this was early enough in the game to where I, I don't think this stopped any momentum for the Heat. I don't think this ruined uh, the game for Miami. I just uh, personally, I'd like to see things that are a little bit more cut and dry if you're going to take something off of the board. Yeah, I think we all would. That's pretty, pretty unanimous feeling, I would say. And and you make a good point. The fact that it was it was so hard to tell. Usually, in situations like that, you expect them to go with what the call on the floor was because it's not enough evidence to overturn it. Um, I, I don't know. It, it was a really really close thing. Mm-hmm. It, I think it's easy to see. If you are want, if you're a Boston fan and you want him to be out of bounds, it's very easy to see that. If you're a Miami fan and you want him to be in bounds or get the shot off, it's very easy to see that as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. I could see it both ways. I could see it both ways. Progressive G uh, has a question here. Thoughts on Miami's rotation? Looks like they lean heavily on uh, Struess and Oladipo over Hero. What are your thoughts? Well, Hero was hurt. There's no way in hell that Hero wouldn't have gotten more minutes than Oladipo if he was healthy. There's no way. He was their best, he was their number, their leading scorer all year long, sixth man of the year, one of their best three-point shooters, and he's we talked about this midway through the series how Miami in the half court doesn't they're built with a ton of shooters and Jimmy Butler and Bam to go get offensive rebounds they don't have many guys that create their own offense or create their own shot on this team and Tyler Hero is one of them they desperately needed that down the stretch in close games uh, in game six and seven in game six Jimmy Butler makes enough plays to get them the victory in game seven he can't make enough plays that's where Tyler Hero would have really come come in handy or or helped this Miami offense so uh, I think it's pretty obvious the rotation is what it was because of their injuries. Yeah, they would have loved to have Tyler Hero out there. But uh, he, he tried, he gave it a go, and he just didn't have it. I think it was the lateral quickness that was really bothering him the most. So he couldn't keep up with anybody. And if you put a guy like that on the court, we already saw with Kyle Lowry multiple times in these playoffs the guy just blows right past you, and you're you're almost worthless on the court. Oh yeah, well, and it affects you more or uh, just as much offensively as it does defensively. I mean, we're talking about one of the best shooters or shot makers, shot creators in the game today. When you don't have the the explosion, you know, to get that first step to create the step back or the step back itself, and then to elevate off the floor, get enough elevation on your jumper so that it's not. Uh, easily contested or blocked, um, a hurt groin, a hurt hamstring, all those things severely impact how you're able to get in position to to take shots and make shots offensively. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Anything else you want to touch on on this game, or should we move into the Heat offseason needs? Uh, it was a great series. Uh, I was really excited to to watch this series when it started. I'm glad that we got a pretty epic finish to it because it could have 
you know, spiraled out of control in, in multiple ways, I think, there towards the end in games five or six, especially with all the blowouts that were in this series. And uh, you gave yourself a pat on the back earlier. I will give myself one as well. I did call Boston in seven games before this series started. So here we are, finals time. Here we are, finals. All right, let's talk a little bit more about the Miami Heat before we dive into the Celtics-Warriors matchup in the finals. Let's talk about the Heat going fishing, and let's see what they can do to improve upon next year. To give it some context, I'm just going to break down the salary cap of the Miami Heat and what they have as far as players under contract next season. Uh, So first off, we have Jimmy Butler. He's got a $37 million player option for next season. I think this is actually converted into his next contract because he's under contract for three years past next season. I think it's pretty safe to say Jimmy Butler will be on this Miami Heat team next season. It's what kind of help will he get. Bam Adebayo is locked up for the next four years, $30.3 million next season. Kyle Lowry is also under contract for two more seasons at $28 million next season, $29 the season after that. Duncan Robinson, the guy that we haven't seen much this NBA playoffs, uh, but we've talked about him. He is under contract for four more years, 16.9 next season, 18.1 the season after that, 19.4 the season after that. And then the 2025-2026 season, uh, he has a partially guaranteed contract of $19.8 million. P.J. Tucker has a $7.3 million player option next season. Tyler Hero is entering in year four of his rookie deal, which is a team option. And then guys like Udonis Haslam, uh, Markeith Morris, Dwayne Dedman, Victor Oladipo, and uh, Caleb Martin are all expiring at the end of this season. Uh, Gabe Vincent, uh, Max Struess, and Omar Yurtseven all have uh, an option or a partially guaranteed contract for next season. Calvin, they're over the cap with just five of these guys Yeah, uh, at $133 million. It's clear they need a little bit of help. They are losing some of these veterans, uh, a lot of these older players, guys like Victor Oladipo that have had moments where they've been very very helpful mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on this heat team what do they need to do to get back to the finals next season well just like uh, uh other contending teams that we've talked about as they've gotten eliminated the milwaukee bucks are probably the first one that comes to my mind all these teams are built in very similar ways not necessarily like they're all built through the draft or or free agency or, or something like that But if you look at the salary breakdowns, they're constructed very similarly. And it makes sense for a contending team to be like that. They have a top list of two or three players that they've committed a ton of money to. You know, the the number one, number two options on these teams. And then the rest of the roster is filled in with these veteran guys or uh, minimum salary contract guys. You know, the Malik Monks of the world, P.J. Tuckers, Victor Oladipos, all that stuff. You have to take chances on some of these guys like Oladipo, but you have to find the the right pieces that you're not going to spend a ton of money on to fill out the rest of the roster. And every year is going to be you basically start over again. You've got those top three or four guys, and you have to find those diamonds in the rough or the cheaper contract Mm -hmm. values out there that are going to fill out the roster and make this team 
uh, a well-rounded contending team. So they're going to have to go through that whole process again. The good news is you've already got a great core to be able to build around. Now Miami has some big question marks coming up for them, and number one is Tyler Hero. Yep. How much money are they really going to want to spend? How far over the salary cap or into the luxury tax tax are they willing to go? Um, you know, we've seen teams like the Warriors and other teams be willing to spend a little bit more to keep some of these core groups of guys available. Is Miami going to do that? That remains to be seen. So in terms of, like, how do they get back to this point next year, I don't view it as they need one position filled or they need a certain player out there. They're already well ahead of where most teams will be at the start of training camp next year. They need to figure out what they're doing with Tyler Hero. Is he going to be a max player? Is he going to continue to come off the bench for them? And they need Bam Adebayo to take another step forward. Mm -hmm. Bam is too skilled. He's too good of a player to be showing up in only half or less than half of the games in a Eastern Conference Finals matchup. They, they need him to take bigger steps on the offensive side of the ball. He's got to develop a better 15 to 18 foot jump shot because when they get in situations like they were in against this tough half court Boston defense, he's got to be somebody that makes them pay because they're going to give him that shot every time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think Bam Adebayo needs to be the second best player on this team. Uh, and eventually maybe even be the, the best player on this team, depending on what happens with Jimmy Butler as he continues to get older. Uh, Bam's only 24 years old right now, and he's got four years left uh, on this contract. I think he does get better, uh, and I think he will anchor this defense next season and for years to come. But I have a lot of questions regarding this roster. You know, after Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, all my questions start. <laughs> Those two yeah. guys will be there next season. They also have a draft pick. I know it's it's not a high draft pick. It's pick number 27. They did lose their second-round pick due to the tampering issue. Uh, so it would be interesting to see who they're able to add with that draft pick. But Kyle Lowry is my first question mark. He's 36 years old. He's under contract for two more seasons for almost $60 million. The dude has been a very productive player in the NBA, but he's dealt with some injuries this season. As you get older, those things kind of pop up more and more often. It'll be interesting to see what kind of decision they make as far as Kyle Lowry. Question number two, Duncan Robinson. This dude makes a ton of money. He signed this contract with almost $80 million guaranteed. He hasn't played much for them at all, especially in the playoffs. He's been a defensive liability. We've seen in the past they've been able to kind of hide him on defense. They haven't been able to do that this season. He makes a ton of money. Uh, and for a guy that doesn't play much, it really hurts your team. They need to have this money uh, available to pay guys that are going to be on the court for more than five minutes a game, for guys that are going to be uh, more than just a, a sharpshooter or a specialist. He makes a ton of money. So whatever happens with Duncan Robinson, I think is very important to keep an eye on because uh, he is an immediate need to address this offseason. P.J. Tucker. 37 years old. He's old. He's looked old out there. I love P.J. Tucker. I do. But he's getting older. He's got a player option for $7 million next season. I can't see a reason why he wouldn't opt in for this, right? If he opts out, he's going to go somewhere else and maybe take a veteran's minimum deal. 
Yeah. I think this is his last year. I think a lot of people expected him to return to Milwaukee la- after last season. That's true. And he ended up leaving. Now, the difference is they won a championship and Miami fell yeah. short. But I expect him to opt in for this $7 million, which might not be the best thing for Miami, but it's going to be the best thing for P.J. Tucker. And I think he will perform well for them next season. I just don't know if he'll do $7.4 million worth of damage. And then you mentioned Tyler Hero. This guy is 22 years old. He's coming off a, a six-man-of-the-year award. He did have some injuries that affected them in the playoffs, but this dude is a max player, in my opinion. If they don't pay him, somebody else will. So I think he does get a max deal to stay with this team, or or I could see a situation where maybe he gets uh, traded for a guy like Bradley Beal in a sign-and-trade. Uh, something to keep an eye on. But Tyler Hero... You need to maximize his value on the trade market or you need to lock him up and keep him long-term. And I think he's going to be a starter next season. Uh, so I think Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Tyler Hero are my main guys coming into next season. And then I just have to figure out what I'm doing with Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, P.J. Tucker, how I'm going to fill in the rest of this roster. Haslam, 41 years old. Is he a player at this point or is he a coach? He's a player coach. I expect him to come off the salary cap next season and be a full-time coach with this Miami Heat team. So I think that will help him. Uh, what are we doing with Max Struess? The dude played pretty well. Uh, he's 26 years old. Um, and then some of these younger guys as well. So Miami's got a ton of questions to answer this offseason, but they're in a good position. All their guys that they need are, are locked up long-term or they have the ability, like Tyler Hero, to match any contract. So. Yeah. And the one thing that we haven't talked about yet is Miami as a franchise, as a large market franchise, is always in a better position than a lot of NBA franchises around the league during the offseason because it's easy to attract people to come to Miami and live in South Beach and play basketball in South Florida. So. And you've got Pat Riley there, who is a you know great negotiator and a and a good motivator, a guy who can has all these connections and Mm -hmm. can talk to high profile players in the league. So they have that advantage for sure. Don't forget no state income tax. Yeah. Yeah. To your point about Kyle Lowry and what they do with him, we've already started to hear rumors about Russell Westbrook wants to play in Miami. John wall maybe wants to play in Miami. So they are, they have options when it comes to trying to, to swap players or upgrade talent. Um, and stay relevant, you know, in the Eastern Conference, in a very di- tough Eastern Conference. Yeah, Miami is probably the most attractive small market uh, team in the NBA. Uh, but I think they're set up for success next season. Uh, I think they have some more stuff to build off of. And uh, I expect them to be back in the playoffs as a very, very uh, tough out next year. Progressive G says, I feel like Miami needs better rebounding. It costs them down the stretch of that last game. It's a good point. Absolutely. I mean, they have good rebounders for their size and their positions, but yes, they struggled with being the the smaller team in this series in particular against Boston, for sure. Yeah. Any last words on Miami before we move on to the NBA Finals? Yeah, I mean, if if you're Miami, where do you go for – do you go to Cancun for the offseason or do you just stay in South Beach? Uh, you know, Jimmy Butler's probably uh, <laughs> holding a practice today that everybody's got to come to. <laughs> Pro- That's probably. the kind of leader you want, right? Definitely. 
All right, let's talk about the NBA Finals. It's official. The Boston Celtics are going to face the Golden State Warriors in this year's NBA Finals. This is their second time facing in the Finals. Uh, the first time was in 1964. Bill Russell against Wilt Chamberlain, uh, two of the most storied players in the NBA, faced off. The Warriors won that championship that year. And uh, we're going to get to see another exciting rematch. The Warriors do have the best record, so they will be technically the home team in this series. Game one is Thursday, June 2nd. Game two on Sunday. Game three next Wednesday. And game four next Friday. That's all we have on the slate so far. There could potentially be three more games, uh, but we'll see how this series goes. I think it will go more than four games, but uh, you know they don't like to schedule all those out. Uh, they, they mark them as if necessary. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens there. Some exciting news for a guy like Al Horford. He breaks the streak for most consecutive playoff games without a finals appearance. 141 playoff games for him. It's a lot of games. Finally makes an NBA Finals. Very, very exciting for him. And the Warriors are getting healthy, right? They are. Uh, they are expected to get all of these guys back at some point during the NBA Finals. It is not uh, known which game they will be ready for, but Gary Payton, <clears throat> the second, Andre Iguodala, and Otto Porter Jr. are all expected to play at some point here during the finals. So both of these teams will be uh, on paper, when you look at an injury report, 100% healthy. Obviously, they're all dealing with certain issues. They're banged up. Tatum's got a shoulder problem. Marcus Smart's got an ankle problem. Robert Williams has a knee problem. But that's you make it this far in the NBA season, and everybody is dealing with something. But they will have – both teams should have all of their, their main guys available. Yeah, yeah, very exciting. I am uh, ecstatic to see uh, these plays or these teams have played twice this year, splitting those games. Uh, so no real advantage at that point already. Thursday's game is in Golden State. They don't have the spread or anything listed yet. But Boston, according to ESPN, has a sixty point five percent chance of winning this game. Calvin, I, I want to hear your take on how these teams match up, uh, players you're looking for and uh, who you think will ultimately win this series. These teams match up, I think, very well. Um, both teams are the two, two of the best defensive teams in the entire league. Boston, statistically speaking, has been number one for a while now, especially in the playoffs. So both teams are, are really great in terms of being able to adjust on the fly, switch screens, rotations, covering the three-point line, all that stuff. Boston definitely has a big-time size advantage, just like they did against Miami. The Warriors play small. Uh, they've committed to that for a long time. Mm -hmm. They're not going to change anything they do, really. Kevon Looney is going to be big <clears throat> for Golden State in this series. He's played enormous for them ever since the tail end of the Memphis series. And that is critical because we just talked about how Miami got hurt on the glass against Boston. Golden State has found a way to, against some of the best rebounding teams in the NBA, Memphis, the number one rebounding team in the league all year long, they were out-rebounded by the Warriors in that entire series. The Warriors outscored them in the paint as well. So 
even though Golden State plays with a small lineup, they know how to put themselves in the right positions for rebounding, getting uh, inside easy buckets, which against a tough Boston defense is going to be an incredibly big storyline in this series. And the Warriors offensively go about their business a very different way than most teams in the league. The ball movement, cutting without the ball, uh, the fact that they whip it around the perimeter constantly, number uh, a very high number of assists per game compared to field goals taken. <clears throat> um, I feel like that was one of the things Miami really struggled with was they they basically just put the ball in Jimmy Butler's hands and said, we need buckets, go get them for us. Golden mm-hmm. State, while they have guys that can do that, obviously, they're very skilled individual offensive players, it's all about the team system. And even for the greatest of defenses, as we've seen, it's really hard to do that for 24 seconds in a shot clock over the course of, you know, 90 possessions a game or whatever it is. So how much will they be able to wear down this great half-court Boston Celtics defense? Who you got winning? I was trying to dodge that question. (laughs) All right, that's okay. That's okay. I'll I'll pick my team. This is really tough. Um, I have said it over and over again here in this postseason. Boston, when they are healthy, I think they are the best team left. So I will take a healthy Boston Celtics to win in six or seven games in this series. Okay, wow. I'm going to take Golden State here. Uh, I feel that Boston is probably the best defensive team in the league. Uh, I like a lot of their players, and you mentioned they're very, very deep and skilled. I think the Warriors can match Boston on defense, but they also have the offensive output that Boston is not really capable of. Boston's got a couple great scores, but the Warriors, just their system, the way they move the ball, the way they're able to get some of these guys open. And then I'm really looking at a guy like Jordan Poole, who I feel can be the X factor for this Warriors team in the finals. You know what you're going to get out of Curry. You know what you're going to get out of uh, guys like Wiggins and Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. But I could see Jordan Poole being the guy that's left open most in this series and the dude's been shooting lights out. I expect him to have a couple big games, and I think the Warriors win another championship. This will be Curry's fourth championship. I expect him to win Finals MVP, and uh, we'll talk about it here in a little bit, but uh, I think that he is propelling himself higher and higher in people's top tens, top fives uh, of all-time greatest players. So uh, we will see what happens. It's going to be really interesting to see what – both teams do in terms of matchups with their closing lineups because as you just mentioned with Jordan Poole the Warriors like to play that three guard lineup with him uh, Clay Thompson Steph Curry and then Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green against the the size of the Boston Celtics that's going to be really interesting to watch because you can't you, you have a really tough decision to make with who Jordan Poole and Steph Curry guard in those situations one of them obviously has to guard Mark is smart, but that means the other one has to then take either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, which that probably won't happen. You want, uh, you know, Andrew Wiggins probably to be on Tatum, Draymond Green maybe to be on Tatum, so Wiggins can be on Brown. But then you're left with the big guys, Horford and Robert Williams. Yeah. So it, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how Golden State plays their rotations if they stick to the same lineups or if they try to to play Kevon Looney more minutes to, to match up with the the size that the Celtics have. 
Don't forget about Andre Godala too. He's yeah. he's supposed to be coming back from that uh, that neck injury. He's thirty eight years old. He's yeah. pretty old at this. Although point. the Warriors are going to need everybody. Yeah, like uh, Progressive G is saying here, they are deeper. Otto Porter Jr. is a, a very versatile defender, a guy that can step out and hit threes. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga, same way. They've got more guys that they can throw in there than the Boston Celtics do, who have pretty much committed to an eight man rotation at this point. But again, when it comes down to fourth quarter, five minutes left, you want your best guys out there, that's when Boston really has the the size advantage. Yeah, and I'm still looking to see what we're going to get out of guys like Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga that have had, you know, highlight They've been seasons For two 19-year-olds yeah. in their first postseason, they've but, been really good. But what can you expect from them in an NBA Finals? Yeah. Yeah. Are they going to see the bright lights in the moment and kind of shy down, or does it make it easier having a guy like Steph Curry, Draymond Green, that you can I, kind of watch and absolutely follow? Absolutely it does, because Boston doesn't have any of those guys on yep. their side. Yeah, they have a guy now, Horford, who's never made the NBA exactly. Finals. This is the first time for just about everybody on their roster, I think. Progressive G says, do you guys feel Boston <laughs> is a lot more physical and that gives them an edge? I think Boston is more physical. And uh, when we were talking earlier um, in the season, I thought the way to get or to beat the Golden State Warriors or to get under the skin is to be physical. I think Boston has a great advantage as far as that goes. I just think that this Warriors team is on a mission. I think Steph Curry's on a mission. And, uh, yeah, like you said, I'm going with the experience at this point. Not a bad thing to go with. Flame Flurry, we're not at Q&A yet, but if you have any questions, feel free to uh, throw them there in the chat. we got a couple more things to touch on real quick, and then we will jump into questions. Also, good to see you. Thank you for joining us. It's going to be an exciting finals. It really is. It really is. Um, all-time list, who you got higher, Curry or, or uh, Durant at this point? In terms of who's the better player? Yeah. <clears throat> Durant. And no championships can affect that list, right? If Curry wins finals MVP here, that they, doesn't do anything for you, right? Ch- championships affect my top ten list probably less than anybody else that you will ask. Because, okay. again, it's a it's a team game, or it's a team award. It's yeah. not an individual award to win a championship. Of course, you need great players to to win multiple championships, and they they certainly have an effect on a player's legacy overall, a Hall of Fame, all that stuff. But when I decide on a top ten list of basketball players, their abilities and talent levels take precedent over how many championships they've won. Yeah. Yeah, I've been watching some old footage this weekend. I was on a very, very long plane ride, so I had a lot of time to do stuff like that. And the one clip that I found that really resonated with me was when Draymond Green got into it with Kevin Durant when they were on the same team. And Draymond Green said, leave. We don't need you. We can win without you. This could be validating his opinion right here, right? Because that has been the knock on the Warriors was – oh, you got lucky with your first championship that Kyrie was out and Kevin Love was out. Then you need a guy like Kevin Durant to beat LeBron and all this stuff. This is their first trip back to the finals without KD. Steph Curry could win his first finals MVP award. This is a redemption tour for Golden State. And if they win this title, I think this gives Curry a little boost in his all-time rating on my list at least. 
And I think it, it just validates the Warriors fans and the Warriors players in terms of, like, we don't need a guy like KD to win a championship. Yeah, I think that's fair. I do think it's interesting, talking about this finals matchup between the Celtics and the Warriors, is, is just three years ago the KD was on the Warriors and Kyrie was on the Celtics. They both leave their teams to go create their the team own up. super team. Yep who gets swept in the first round, and now their teams that they left are facing off in the finals. Yeah, yeah. You got to feel bad for Kent Bazemore too, right? Yeah. He's, he's now left the Warriors twice, and both following seasons they made the finals. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty wild. Also got to give a shout-out to my guy Sas Castillo. Nick Stauskas uh, was on the Miami Heat earlier this season. Now he's on the Celtics, and he's heading to the finals not sure if he'll get any playing time here, but uh, cool uh, to see an ex-king. Yeah. Cool to see an ex-king potentially have a shot at a ring. What's up, Key Kings? Good to see you. Yeah, KD is uh, Katie's probably not happy, but who knows? Maybe he moved on at this point. <laughs> I think he was punching the wall as soon as they got swept. Yeah. He got, he's probably not too – doesn't really care too much at this point about not making the finals. Yeah, first game is not till Thursday, so don't worry, guys. We have plenty of time to talk about this matchup before game one. Anything else you want to mention before we uh, talk about two more news events and then we jump into Q&A? I'm just really excited. We're finally here. NBA Finals time. Yeah. This is going to be a very interesting series to watch because both teams are really, really good, um, but they go about their business in in very different ways. So which – system is going to win out uh, and you know are we going to see some some really amazing performances from guys like Steph Curry or Tatum how does Brown mm -hmm. play uh, will the Warriors be able to get Clay Thompson to play you know he's been very up and down so far yep. he's had some really amazing games and then he's had some just mediocre games they, they need him obviously to be big if they're going to win the Warriors had a ton more rest here they didn't play game seven uh, but it's not always rest that leads you to a win uh, in the finals. Sometimes it's consistency. Sometimes it's it's on a roll like what Boston is doing. So it, it's going to be a very, very exciting finals. All right. In other news, Calvin, Darvin Ham officially hired by the L.A. Lakers as their head coach. Apparently he's already uh, won over LeBron James. They didn't trade for Doc Rivers. What are your thoughts on this hiring, and uh, what does this mean for Sacramento? Because they didn't hire Darvin Ham. Now he's going to the Lakers and could potentially turn them into a playoff contender next season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got a, a pretty good head start in terms of the players that are on their roster, obviously, right? Uh, I'm happy for Darvin Ham. I, I think that <clears throat> he is a very qualified candidate, deserves – you know, an opportunity to be a head coach and lead a team, and he's going to have all the pressure in the world <laughs> being yeah. uh, LeBron James's head coach at, towards the end of his career and after the season that they had being incredibly disappointing. But, um, you know, if you if this is your dream, this is your goal, I can't think of many better places to be in. They're going to spend money. They're going to do everything they can to be competitive. So he's going to have all the the resources and the tools given to him he, he just has to figure out a way to make it work on the court and uh, I do think it's it's interesting that LeBron James has showered him with compliments 
recently. It's uh, it's a good thing. Obviously, he should say all those things, but he was very rumoredly very outspoken about wanting somebody else to be their coach. So now you got to start building that relationship as well if you're Darvin Ham yep. as a coach, knowing that LeBron is lay GM and all that stuff that they, they talk about. But again, you know, you want all of that, all of those things in life. Um, sometimes it's a be careful what you wish for scenario. And now you've, you've got to go do it. What's up, Patrick. Good to see you here in the chat. Yeah. I just want to remind everybody the last time that LeBron had a rookie head coach, he won an NBA championship. Yep. And that was with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, as he would say, anything's possible. Anything is possible, yeah. Uh, so, we will see what happens there. Um, but, hey, they got their guy. They got their coach. I like Darvin Ham a lot. Very, very, uh, I guess, experienced for a first-time head coach. Oh, yeah, for sure. Lots of experience. Comes from a great coaching background. You know, had a really, really good person to learn from all these years in Milwaukee and uh yeah it, I think on paper it's a, a really good hire yeah yeah I agree I agree all right next up CJ McCollum is joining ESPN as a year-long analyst no he's not retiring he's still with the Pelicans <laughs> that, that's uh the new NBA all these guys are dual uh yeah dual participants we've seen guys you know, help out with ESPN after they've been eliminated from the playoffs, stuff like that. But apparently CJ McCollum is going to be a member of the media throughout the entire season. What are your thoughts on this, Calvin? As a media member, as a player, are you looking at this guy a little bit differently in the locker room? Like maybe he's the leak. Maybe he's the guy that's telling people <laughs> what we're saying. Like, this is so strange to me. I, yeah, I agree. It is very strange, especially like you just said, from a, a locker room dynamic. Um, you know, if I had a guy on my team, maybe CJ McCollum isn't somebody that I would be the most worried about. I mean, he has run his own podcast now for a while. Uh, I think he's a very well-liked guy around the league. You know, somebody like a Patrick Beverly would maybe worry me a little bit more <laughs> if he was on my team and going to ESPN to, to do shows and games and stuff like that because he's a little bit more outspoken, obviously. But it, it is a, it's got to be a very, very weird feeling, both for the players who are doing this themselves. Yeah, they, it's obvious that it's something they want to do and they're trying to set maybe a career up for after basketball, which is great and makes a lot of sense. But there's still a little bit of a conflict of interest here yeah. in, in doing both of these jobs at the same time. Yeah, if I'm if I'm the best player on the Pelicans team, I'm looking at CJ McCollum and I'm saying, what are you doing here, dude? You have your podcast, that's fine. Yep. If you want to join yep. the media, that's fine. But just wait until your career is over. Like, you're nowhere close to being retired. We just traded for you. We need you to be an integral part of this team and not spend time talking to media members. Like, we need you working out. We need you being a leader of this team. Uh, we need you all in, and that's very do tough to do. Do you think Steph or Clay said that to Draymond before he signed his deal with Turner Sports? But Draymond, does he do it during the whole season? He did this year. It's, it's tough. I don't know. I, I'm mixed on that. I, I don't think they did because I think uh, Draymond Green is the guy that would say that to anybody on that team. Uh, which is tough, but, um, 
I don't like it personally. I don't either. It, I mean, it, I think it's definitely something that we're watching become the new normal before our very eyes. Oh, I hate and that word. Things, yeah, I know. I don't like that either. But it, I think it's true. You know, this these are early dominoes that are falling, and you're going to see this happen probably more and more frequently now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree. If I was a teammate, I, I would be a, a little bit nervous for somebody that is so important to our team, you know, if you see it take away even in the smallest, smallest degree from mm-hmm. what they could be giving to the team on the court in practice, things like that, you're going to have it. That would be a big red flag. Yeah, we saw Bill Russell win a championship as head coach and player on a team. But those, to me, seem Very like different. You're kind still, of things that are in the it, same you're path. You're still yeah. only involved in the day-to-day operations exactly. of the team and getting better and all that. Exactly. Stuff. Versus this is kind of like having a part-time job. Yeah. Yes, you're still in the same category as far as like talking about basketball and stuff like that, but this is more of a distraction to me uh, than a positive, and I'd be a little worried. So we'll, we'll see what happens in this. But as a fan, it's great, right? We get to see... Yeah. behind the scenes of guys that are still playing in their all and, their opinions. So. And we don't really know what the contract obligations are, right? I, I mean, it, it, it's very possible that it could be clearly written into the contract. You know, we won't have CJ do any games until unless the Pelicans are eliminated or something. And then he comes on for the playoffs or he just does something for all-star weekend or whatever. Like I, I'm sure that, the Pelicans organization was probably very careful and very cautious of how that contract was, was written out and what the exact verbiage yeah. is in there. And for me, I'm just like, why do you need a contract? Like you, you're not doing it for the money. You're already making plenty yeah. of money. Why don't you just call ESPN and be like, Oh yeah, you want, you want my opinion on something? Give me a call anytime. You know, like why do you need to be under contract for an entire well, I, year to be an analyst. I think it's to give you a leg up on getting a posi- getting hired, getting a position when you are done playing yeah. basketball. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because as we're seeing, those positions are getting filled really fast. J.J. Redick, all these guys that retire and then immediately jump in there. Mm-hmm. Richard Jefferson, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So if you can get your door, your foot in the door early while you're still playing, yep. you know, it makes it a lot easier for you to, to secure a, a position when you're done. Yeah, shout out to uh, Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal. They seem yeah. to be the pioneers yeah. that are pushing this forward. So congratulations to them, and congratulations to CJ. All right, I think we're ready for Q&A. So if you guys have any questions, go ahead and drop them here in the chat, and we got answers for you. Uh, so go ahead and drop them in there. Also, please hit that like button. we got eight people watching, only four likes. So let's get some more likes going. Also, if you're watching and you're not subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. All right, Calvin, I think I got some questions in here. We talked about Boston being more physical. Talked about a bunch of missed shots. Key Kings says, Paulo Banchero does not want to go to the Thunder because they took his supersonics away. What are your thoughts on this? Um, well, I mean, most people expect him to be uh, or expect – the first two picks to go other directions. So I think he might dodge the bullet anyway there, but uh, you know, it's just another guy voicing his opinion about where he wants to play. And ultimately the decision isn't up to him. So 
But saying stuff like that is a tactic, you know, to make the team, if Oklahoma City is there picking at number two, that they'll definitely have that in the back of their heads that he doesn't want to play there. So it it is what it is. Um, I I don't like it when players say stuff like that. Maybe you can, if you get drafted by another team after the fact, you can come out and say something like that. Like, man, I'm really glad I didn't end up in Oklahoma City. They took my supersonics. I don't necessarily like it when a player says that before the draft. Um, you know, you, it should all be about respecting the draft process, and you you don't have a choice where you go. You you're picked, and you got to deal with it from there, like an adult, like a <laughs> like a professional. But hey, maybe it works for him. I don't know. Where are the agents? That's what I want to know. Where <laughs> are these agents? We've been hearing these guys in the draft saying things like they don't want to go to certain teams and all this, like the agents need to be there. They need to be coaching these guys and saying, listen, these are things you can say. These are things you shouldn't say because this is going to hurt your draft stock. This is going to hurt us in the pocketbook. We need to, you know, not only be grateful that you're going to be chosen by a team and a team is going to show, you know, that they have promise, uh, that they believe in you, stuff like that. But, just shut up, man. Shut up. Let them pick their players oh, and then deal with it. suggesting they shut up and dribble? No, but deal with it <laughs> like a professional, like you said. Yeah. I think I think yeah. players shouldn't be saying this stuff at this point. I agree completely, especially when you're one of the top three or four projected yep. picks in the draft. You're, you're too high. Uh, it, you've been in that level or at that level now for most of your basketball life you were one of the highest rated high school players you Mm -hmm. were one of the highest recruited players in college the difference is in college you get to pick where you go and in the nba you don't get to pick where you go it's a it's a profession it's your ultimate goal and that's what you should be focused on is making that goal or that dream a reality after you get drafted then you deal with uh, you know, going to work and, and trying to win basketball games as a pro. Yeah. What's up, Matthew? Good to see you here. Boo Thunder. Thunder can <laughs> shut up. Yeah. I mean, Seattle tried to take uh, the Kings as well, so I still have some uh, harsh feelings as far as that goes. But, yeah, just. I did read an article, Matthew, or a couple days ago or maybe a week ago that said the NBA – is moving forward or headed in the the right direction for two expansion franchises Mm -hmm. as early as 2024, one of them being in Seattle. So it seems like that is definitely gaining momentum, and and we will probably be seeing more teams (laughs) in the NBA, which that's another story for diluting the the talent pool or the parity in the league. But I would be happy to see Seattle get a team again. I think they were talking about maybe Las Vegas being the second team in yeah, that as well. It, right now the, the two cities are Las Vegas and Seattle yeah. for sure. Does that mean that the the Pelicans finally join the Eastern Conference? I don't know. They'll have to do maybe some restructuring. I, it we'll see. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Or Memphis will be back in the the Eastern Conference. Patrick wants to know who do you want in this year's draft? For the Kings, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, it really depends on what pick they have, obviously, right? Like, if they stay at four, it's most likely going to be one of the I'll three. I'll tell you who I Ivy, don't want. Keegan Murray uh, or Shaden Sharp. 
There's a lot of rumors going around that they've already made a deal to move up to two. If that's the case, then you probably expect them to take either Jabari Smith or Chet Holmgren, whichever one is available after the first pick. In my mind, if you're going to stay at four, I really like Keegan Murray. I think that that is, the more I watch of him, how well-rounded he is, the size, uh, he fills a really, really good position area of need for this team. Jaden Ivey might be the best athlete in the draft, but we've talked a lot about him being very ball dominant. How does that work in a backcourt with Fox? I like Keegan Murray as a very, very solid pick for being the most NBA-ready player in this draft if they're going to stay at four. Yeah, I could agree with that. I think that Sharp is a little bit more of a gamble considering he hasn't played uh, in college. I was high on Jaden Ivey, uh, you know, but I watched him a little bit more. I have concerns about ball dominance, how he's going to work with De'Aaron Fox. But then after I heard the comments about him talking about Sacramento and how no one cares about that team and he wants to go to Detroit, he's completely off of my radar at this point. But uh, as Calvin mentioned, we don't know what's happening, if they're still trading the pick or not, if they're moving up, if they're moving down. I like Murray. I like Sharp, both at four. Um, but I'm expecting the Kings to make a move here. So that's either getting a guy like Chet Holmgren at two or potentially trading the pick for an NBA uh, player already. Uh, so we'll see We'll see what happens there. Going back to the first round of the playoffs, does your playoff bracket look similar to what is going on today? No. <laughs> uh, I had Phoenix beating Miami in the finals to win the ring. And uh, it is. Uh, it doesn't look like that at all now. Yeah, I tore mine up weeks ago when both Milwaukee and Phoenix were <laughs> eliminated. So I had a rematch. I did have Miami and Golden State in the conference finals, though. So I got some of it right. Very, very tough year to guess. Yeah. And that's one thing we talked about last week that was so exciting about this season, right? And actually the past couple seasons is how you haven't, just automatically known what team's going to be in the finals, right? Like we talked about all those years where it's like we knew Golden State was going to be there. We knew Cleveland was going to be there. We knew the Lakers were going to be there. We knew uh, the Spurs were going to be there. We finally like gotten to this point where like we don't know who's going to be in the finals. That's exciting in itself. So not good for my bracket, uh, not good for my pocketbook, but uh, exciting as a fan for sure. All right. Congrats to Mike Schmitz for getting hired. Oh, yeah, definitely. Shout out. Yeah, draft guru, Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, they need to make some moves. They need to figure it out. Congratulations to Mike. Key King says, most likely Pelicans and Grizzlies to the east. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, the Pelicans definitely need to be moving to the east because they're east already. <laughs> they're so east. I mean, Memphis and New Orleans are both yeah pretty much at very similar spots yeah i could see that what are your thoughts in on fact, adding Memphis more teams might even be a little further east than new orleans i don't know i'd have to look at a map but what are your thoughts on adding two more teams um i personally i don't like it uh it's not because i don't want to see a team in seattle or anything like that or even a team in las vegas like it would be exciting for sure it would be great for fan bases of those cities all that stuff but the more teams you add in your league yes there is a, a ton of talent in the nba right now which is a good thing young talent but 
the more teams you add, the the less the the bigger gap in parity there is. We already see it right now in the NBA. There's like four or five teams that are really, really, really good. There's four or five teams that are absolutely awful, and then everyone else is in the middle. So it, it just greater expands that gap of good teams to bad teams. I'm trying to look up the last expansion team rules because I remember it was like the Charlotte Bobcats. I think they got like John Salmons or somebody from the Kings. Um, but if you're talking about adding expansion teams, if I'm the Warriors, I might be a little worried because if I have to identify like five guys to keep on my team that nobody can can take from me, that might be kind of tough, right? You got Curry, Green, Iguodala, uh Looney, like, and then you throw in Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga, like they're set up great for Wiseman. the future in Wiseman. But if uh, if I have to identify five or seven players, um, that might be tough. That might be really tough. And especially if you're adding in two expansion teams, they need to fill out those rosters with yeah. NBA players. So uh, that might be harmful to some of these other teams, especially a team like Golden State that's so deep and is drafted well. They got yeah. veterans, they got all-stars, they got MVPs, and they got young guys. It's great news if you play in the G League. Yeah. That's really, true. really great news. If they do expansion, does that mean an extra playoff spot? I don't think so. Oh, but gosh, it I hope not. Could, it could have <laughs> more, some implications more plan, for the play-in. The plan to the play-in yeah. tournament. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Most likely to make the playoffs next season, Clippers or Lakers? Ooh. Right now I go Clippers. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I think the Lakers have too many questions with their roster. They have mo a lot of questions with their health as well. I, I saw somewhere in the chat somebody's predicting Anthony Davis to play seven games next year. I'm taking the over on that one. But <laughs> if that's the case, Kawhi Leonard comes back healthy. Uh, they get Paul George back 100%. I think the Clippers would have a slightly better chance. Yeah, that's a tough one. That is tough, right? The Clippers only missed the playoffs because Paul George had COVID yep. and they lost in the play-in tournament. It's also hard for me to bet against LeBron James. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm I'm going to pass on this question. But still, LeBron had, you know, he scored more points than he had in like almost 10 years or whatever yep. it was per game this year, and they still failed to even make the play-in tournament. Yeah, that's tough. I feel like they got to do something. But, yeah, maybe I'll agree with you. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll take the Clippers. All right, who do you have winning the NBA Finals? I took the Warriors. Calvin took the Celtics. So we will see what happens. Things can change really fast. They really can. It's a really tough call. I, I It's kind of a toss-up for me at this point. Progressive G wants to move OKC back to Seattle. What do you think about that? Is that the right way to do it? Say, sorry, you're going back to Seattle. You get an I, expansion team. I'd be fine with that. I mean, whoever gets OKC, they get all those draft picks, right? So yeah. uh, they have a bright future ahead. They just need to draft some players. We'll see what happens, what they do in this year's draft. If they end up trading the second pick for more draft picks or not. What's up, Phoenix? Good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Barry, you don't mind if I come snag my Kings and bring them up here to you? 
Yeah, I do mind, Matthew. You're not getting the king. Sorry. We just built a new arena uh, a few years ago, and we're going to make the playoffs this season. So, no, you can't. Yes, Gerald Wallace. That's who I was thinking of. That's who I was thinking of. Eight players you can protect in the expansion, which is great for a team like Sacramento, tough for a team like Golden State that's got a, a lot of young players. Yeah. I definitely think Seattle and Vegas should get teams because it will 100% work out, but thoughts on possible other cities for expansion teams? Um, what about the I, state of Kentucky? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's there's probably tens of cities that you could make a pretty strong case for. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. They they all do about the same for me. Like, I I would love it if Seattle got a team back. I think Vegas, because of the obvious reasons and how great it is to now watch football games and hockey games there, it's right in the middle of everything. All the action, it's a great atmosphere. It would be awesome if Vegas had a pro basketball team um but again you, you know like wh where does it stop how yeah what's the point where you draw the line and say this is too much yeah i i look at it's similar to football right where certain states can i guess maintain having multiple teams right like you look at california yeah they got they had three football teams no, they actually had four football teams. Now they have three, right? Um, they got a ton of basketball teams. Florida had – they still have two football teams, only one basketball team in Florida. Um, and then you look at, like, baseball and stuff like that. There are certain areas that are highly populated, very diverse areas that can support multiple teams. But then I look at cities or states uh, like Kentucky, right, where great college basketball areas – don't have NBA games. Um, so I, I'm really mixed. Like Calvin said, where do you end it, right? If you just start expanding, you're like, you get a city, you get a city, or a team, you get a team, you get a team. How many leagues more, are we going to have here? teams in Canada, Vancouver. Yeah. How many uh, leagues are we going to have here? Team in Mexico. Yeah. There's going to be different, d different divisions, conferences, all this. <laughs> They're going to have to, like, divide it all up and – might as well bring back the ABA and the NBA and all that stuff too. So it is more basketball, but it does get to a point where it's too much. Like for me, baseball, too many games for baseball in the regular season. Oh yeah. Way, way too many games. All right. LeBron and the Lakers will be back. I got Warriors in six. The Celtics team reminds me of a poor man's version of the 2019 Raptors. I mean, the Raptors won. They did, and the Celtics are better defensively than that team. Do you agree with Matt George that despite of what Jaden Ivey said, we should take him as he is the best available? It's a tough question. It, it all depends on what your <clears throat> draft day strategy is. You know, if, if Monty is again going to double down on taking the best available player and hoping that it works out in the end, then, yeah, that's probably what you do if you believe he is the best available player there. Yeah. Um, it, it, that's a tough one. I, I, would, I probably would take somebody else regardless of what he said about playing in Sacramento. So for me, it, I, I'm drafting a different player 
already. It, that doesn't affect my decision. But I'm only taking best available if I'm trading the guy later on. If the plan is to trade him, then I'll probably take best available, and maybe that's Jaden Ivey. But I, I think the Kings have a lot of different options here. And uh, if I'm building chemistry, I want guys that want to be on this team. And if the dude's already saying that he doesn't want to be in Sacramento and he hasn't even been to Sacramento, he hasn't even seen this team, and then the Kings start losing games, the dude's only going to get louder and louder. So I'd be very careful when I'm developing a culture to bring guys in that at least want to be on that team. Because if you got all the talent in the world, if you're the most talented player in the NBA, but you're not on the court because you don't want to be part of the team. What does that do? Nothing, nothing. All right, Calvin, you got any other thoughts before we wrap up the show here? No, thanks everybody for watching. Yes. Thank you guys all for watching. Uh, we appreciate you all. Please hit that like button. Please subscribe. Please share this uh, video with all your favorite basketball fans. We will be back tomorrow, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for all your basketball needs. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And as always, don't forget to tip your bartender.